So the first thing I would remind everybody is, is that no matter how bad it feels for you, it absolutely feels that way for almost everybody around you. And your best strategy is to remember that constantly and try to be hmm. kind. Do not lose you know, sight of just what a historic period this is. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. Hi, and welcome back to the Inspire Podcast. I want to start by saying two things. First, during this time of coronavirus, I hope you and your family and loved ones are all safe and healthy. And secondly, I want to say a big thank you to the people who are working hard on the front lines to keep us healthy, the medical professionals who are testing, treating, and caring for people who get this disease. They're really the inspiration right now. I have some family members doing that in Connecticut and my thoughts are with everyone on the front lines. Stay safe. Uh, During this time, I'm going to try and do a few extra Inspire podcasts and bring some experts on to talk about leadership, inspiration, communication during this time. And one such uh, person I have come to turn to is Howard Foreman. Howard is a professor of diagnostic radiology public health, economics, and management in the Yale School of Public Health. And he is someone who I got to know through Twitter. A month ago, he started tweeting about COVID-19 and the need to get ready for the wave that was going to hit the world. And uh, and so he's been a, a voice of pragmatism, realism, and uh, and even some hope as well. So I brought him on to talk about what we're in the middle of, what's coming, and what leaders can and should say to lead their people through this crisis. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Howard Foreman. Howard, you got a lot of credentials that make you very qualified to speak on what's going on. So maybe I'll let you quickly summarize them for me and our listeners. Sure. I'm a uh, practicing radiologist in the emergency room at Yale New Haven Hospital, and I also run our healthcare leadership and management programs, particularly in the School of Management and the School of Public Health at Yale, where I also teach. Um, And I run our healthcare track for our executive MBA program, as well as our MD MBA and MPH MBA program. So I've mostly tried to work at the junction of health policy, health management, health leadership while maintaining a clinical practice and being involved in the operations of an $80 million a year uh, department. I've been following you for a month on Twitter. Tell me how you got into this role of um, speaking up, speaking out for the need to do more. How did you find yourself in that? Yeah, so prior to this uh, outbreak, I was really on Twitter as a distraction and mostly (laughs) politics and I was having a good time with it. It was fun, but I wasn't really using my professional voice that much on Twitter. Uh, I'd actually probably a week before a friend said to me, you should do more, you know, professional tweeting. And, and, you know, and I said that the way the algorithm works is once you're 
sort of known to be an anti-Trumper or something like that. That's how it goes, and it's hard to break out of that. Hmm. And then this happened, and uh, about four weeks ago, I started to actively tweet about this because I saw ahead of a lot of other people, I certainly wasn't the first, the challenges that we had ahead in terms of both testing as well as policymaking at the state and federal level and how the lag in decision-making was ultimately going to become a disaster. And I, you know, before anything was really going viral to any degree, both, uh, you know, no pun intended, I had <laughs> tweeted out about the fact that, you know, we're heading into spring break season and we have no information about how this will affect schools when students come back from break and what will happen when they bring back uh, their exposures from all over the world. And so I started raising that. And the next day I did a thread a little bit more in the background of coronavirus. And that got a lot of traction more than I had ever expected. And then the next day, my friend Molly said, you know, when am I going to see another thread from from Howie Foreman and, and someone else? And I responded soon. I went and walked the dog and I thought about what I would write. And I wrote a thread and it, you know, it got uh, considerable attention. And ultimately, I, I pretty much doubled my <laughs> Twitter following. And I recognized at that point, I now had a coronavirus following. And um, I've been trying to use it as a platform to inform the public to mm-hmm. stay out of politics as much as possible. I occasionally still uh, <laughs> touch on it, but I try to avoid the politics. I try to stick to the, to the evidence, the facts, and what are the most important mandates and imperatives that we have right at this moment. And that's what I've sort of trying to do, do every day. And I think you've been doing it really well. And, you know, to me, it's an example of leadership from non-authoritative leadership. You know, I, I certainly have not only been educated, but inspired by your, you know, push for more testing, your clarity around the fact that, you know, test confirmations are not indicative of the total spread of the epidemic and the need to do social distancing. So, and, and uh, you know, living here in Canada, I, we have a lot of those messages now being played out, fortunately, by our leadership, but we, we too are facing an outbreak as well. So some quick questions for you for, on the medical front, and then we'll talk leadership. So what do you foresee the next month being in North America as far as spread or potentially the flattening of the curve? So I think we're all going to continue to watch Italy to see that Italy can contain what they have. And if they do, then it gives me hope that New York will do better than Italy because I think they've put in place more aggressive measures earlier and it's a a less elderly and firm population. But nonetheless, New York is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Then we're going to see other outbreaks just blossom. And I think they're going to, you know, Louisiana, for instance, is an example of one that's blossoming right now. But we're going to see places where people have sort of minimized what's going on there, they're going to explode. And whether it's in Texas or Florida or Georgia or other parts of California, I think we're going to see areas constantly popping up like wildfires. And then you're going to see reactive responses Mm. from leadership in those areas. Some of these areas have already put in place fairly strong suppression strategies, California being one of them, San Francisco as examples. So some of these places, when they pop up, will already be ready to be tamped down because the suppression strategies typically take about two weeks to start Mm. kick in and about three weeks to, to reach maximal effect. 
And so places that have been proactive, who have made concerted efforts where the populace has been behaving according to the the new norms, I think are going to be able to manage these wildfires. I think there are going to be some places in our country that are going to even make New York look tame. Wow. And certainly that speaks to the fact that social distancing, you know, certainly in this early stage when the other, you know, testing, treatment, contract tracing just isn't there and the equipment's not there is the the one tool to use. Do you think that the country is going to be involved in fighting this for the next six plus months? So I think, you know, the thing about the United States is that for there are times when we have a strong federal government and there are times when the states have to take the lead. And I think we're watching a period of time that shows you what happens when federal leadership fails. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I I think that we're going to be okay in some states where there's going to be a lot of early leadership at the at the statehouse level. I I think it may take time to catch on in some other states and there's going to be a lot of throwing of blame around and that's not going to be pleasant at all. But I do think that if we can get to a point in equilibrium where everybody starts taking this seriously, then there'll be two or maybe three really bad months and then we'll start to figure out Mm. how and when we take the foot off the brake a little bit Mm -hmm. and hopefully at the same time have far more information from what I consider to be more massive testing levels. We're nowhere near that yet and hopefully some therapeutic options. So I know you're, you're in Connecticut. My mom actually grew up in Connecticut a small town called Harwinton Heights, and I have family down there, some on the front lines of testing. But being here in Canada, I don't know if you have any insights into whether that's the scenario, what we're in for, for the coming months. And if you don't, that's fine. I just thought I'd ask for all the Canadians listening. Yeah, no. So, I mean, my only sense about Canada at this point has been driven by, you know, the fact that early on, they seem to have access to tests more than other Mm -hmm. places did. And they also seem to have a little bit better geographic spread of tests. But for, from what I can tell, and I haven't looked it up recently, they still were under-testing to a fairly a high degree. So we're, we're hoping that sometime in the very near future, um, you know, every country will have access to tests. The innovation that has occurred on both the PCR and the antibody testing over the last two or three weeks has been extraordinary. So aside from private labs, hospital labs, and Department of Public Health uh, standing up their labs, and this applies to Canada as well, having to stand up and grow their own labs. Secondly, there's commercial laboratory reagent and equipment manufacturers who have stepped into the breach. And so Mm. I think we're going to see an explosion in testing very soon, which will simultaneously scare people, but also put us on a better footing. Yeah, and I think that it's been amazing. I follow that Twitter feed you tweeted out about that tracks the testing capacity in the U.S. every day, and that's been great to see it going up, though I know we're not close to that 100,000 minimum you say we need. So uh, question for you. So leaders listening who run companies, who run or- government organizations, NGOs, what would be the number one piece of advice you would give them to support this uh, fight against the pandemic? You know, so again, I think... There's several things, there are several moving parts going on right now. This is completely a completely novel experience for us. Every other pandemic of consequence in the United States has been a flu pandemic, and we've had different strategies to deal with that. And if the flu pandemic came right now, we would be able to manage that both through vaccinations as well as antiviral medications and so on. 
we eventually are going to have those tools. What we mostly want to avoid right now is overwhelming our healthcare system and having spillover collateral effects on other health conditions so that people are needlessly dying and losing their life and losing years of life when we really should be able to contain this and at least suppress the peak of the curve sufficiently so as not to overburden our healthcare system. So it is a lot about uh, talking about patients. It's a lot about having people rethink the way they work. My children are doing school from home, as most children, I think, are at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, most of us are doing Zoom meetings and tele telephony um, to conduct the business that we usually conduct. And, and a lot of functions continue to work by doing this from home, unfortunately, the people who are sort of most vulnerable are the ones who have lost either hours or their jobs during this time and will continue to lose hours or their jobs. And those are the ones that we really have to protect through both a federal and state response. And uh, in the United States, the stimulus slash bailout bill that is pending before Congress right now will begin to help that uh, you know, face up to that challenge. And we're looking for more here in Canada as well. So hopefully that comes. The, the last question I have for you, because I know your, your time is so valuable, is from a communication standpoint, what advice would you give to leaders? What should they be communicating and what should they not be communicating to staff, employees, and customers during this time? I think everybody is going through a very tough time now. I don't know anybody yeah, really. it's who true. thinks that this is sort of easy and, and or their life is somehow better. I don't know a soul in that category. So the first thing I would remind everybody is, is that no matter how bad it feels for you, it absolutely feels that way for almost everybody around you. And your best strategy is to remember that constantly and try to be hmm. kind. Do not lose you know, sight of just what a historic, period this is, I think people need to remember that this will pass. This is, in my opinion, mm -hmm. still, and I have colleagues that may disagree with me on this, this is still not as economically consequential as the Great Recession was just mm -hmm. uh, 12 and 13 years ago, because all of the structural reasons why our economies have been strong remain. There is no financial crisis per se. It is not a crisis of faith in our banks. There is not a, uh, a you know a large weight of dead loans on the books. This is a short-term, large macroeconomic shock to the system that should be able to work its way through. And we know so much about both the fiscal and monetary strategies to deal with that. So as painful as it is, people should remember that we have a short-term, a relatively short-term public health crisis mm -hmm. and then an economic crisis that will abate after that. So you have to have confidence in what existed before this and what will exist going forward and try to be socially responsible in terms of your own social distancing so that you minimize the amount of contact you have with others or even with things that may have contact with others. And uh, those, those are sort of my leading ideas. Well, I like them. And I think, you know, the, particularly the one around, we will get through this. And I, I will say this is both a time when I'm despairing of some leaders and you've talked about a few of them, but also inspired, you know, you look at the governor of New York and the leaders in the private sector ramping up testing. We do see people stepping forward with ingenuity and leadership. And that gives me a lot of hope. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Howard, if there's anyone, I know there's a lot of sources of news out there. Many are confusing. What are the your 
top three recommendations of people or institutions to listen to during this stressful time? So I'm really so focused on this one you know, topic that I basically am always sourcing data either from, you know, world counters or from the COVID tracking project mm-hmm. or from the COVID lab capacity projects. One thing that I am proud of is that all of my colleagues in the pu- public health field and in the healthcare field writ large are stepping into the void. I've, I've never knew so many people are available mm-hmm. to do interviews in both large and small venues and, uh, you know, I'm heartened to see people being willing yes. to try to get the message out when it's so important. Well, I'm really appreciative of you taking your time to do the same. We'll get this podcast out this week because I know it's you tackle things that people are looking for answers on. So thanks so much for coming on. Keep tweeting. I'll keep following you and uh, appreciate it. Great. Thank you very All much for having Take me. Care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Howard Foreman. Really appreciate him coming on the podcast during a, a crisis and helping to spread the word uh, and also leave us with some good advice. This too shall pass. Let's be kind to each other as we get through it. So I'm going to do another podcast, uh, just recorded it. So we'll release it in the next week or so with Trina Moivin, uh, Vice President of Optimum Talent. That's a leadership firm here in Canada. And Trina joins me to talk about what makes a high-performing team and how leaders can work to form them. And we have the conversation through the lens of COVID-19 and the new imperatives around uh, successful teams in this highly evolving time. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll see you soon.